0: For those of you that know the Bible pretty well, you know that there are a lot of stories in the New Testament that are recorded miracles. And a lot of times when Jesus did these miracles, there was a lot of meaning just saturated into those stories and things that you can glean from them. And it seemed like, you know, with a lot of those, there was a lot of truths and there was some reasoning behind what took place during those stories. Well, there's one particular miracle in John chapter five that when you first read through it and try to dissect it out, it doesn't seem like there's really a whole lot there. It's a little short story and it doesn't seem like there's any reason to why it happened and you have to kind of dig into it a little deeper just to understand what Jesus was probably trying to accomplish with that. We're going to talk about that miracle right after this. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's edition of Connecting the Gap. I think we've made it to episode 10 at this point. Hopefully you guys have had a chance to go back and check out the first nine that I've posted. If not, please go and do that. Uh, There's some good studies there and some good things to to get from those studies some good truths and that kind of thing that you can get from those and just check those out. You can go to my website at ConnectingTheGap.net and all of my podcasts are there in one spot. Of course, you can subscribe, and you can get me on Apple Podcasts, Podbean. Uh, you can get the audio version on iHeartRadio, and there's just several others, Stitcher. There's several others out there that I'm on, so please subscribe. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, and the link for that is at my website at connectingthegap.net, and there's lots of Bible study stuff there. So please check all that out and share me so that other people can get something from these as well. Well, as i mentioned before there when i first started today i was mentioning that there is a miracle in the bible that kind of sticks out in the extent of it It doesn't seem like there's much to it and it's kind of weird how it happened it seems like there's just not any rhyme or reason as to why jesus did this miracle at first glance so we're going to go through that and kind of study it out a little bit and see what truths we can get from that miracle The miracle that I'm talking about is found in John chapter 5, and it's in verses 1 through 16. It's the healing at the pool of Bethesda. So I don't know how many of you guys have ever read this story or not, and if you haven't, we're going to go through a kind of a verse-by-verse study of this. We're not going to get really, really deep into it, but I do want to pull out a bunch of truths and some points that I would like to share with you guys that maybe you hadn't thought about or maybe you hadn't seen as you read this story. And so we're gonna go through that this week. This might go into a two-parter, I'm not sure. I've got quite a few pages of notes here. So we might just break this up into two parts. We'll see what happens with our timing as we get into this. So again, thank you guys for joining me and we're gonna get started on this. Uh, the many incidents of Jesus healing people that John had observed as a disciple, he selected only a few things to include in his gospel. We know that as Jesus walked on this earth, there's probably lots of miracles that he performed that probably was not really recorded by any of the synoptic gospels at all, um, but he did get a lot of those recorded by his disciples. John apparently assumed that his readers had access to probably one or more of the synoptic gospels because he knew at this point that he wasn't the only one that was writing about Jesus' life. So we have to assume that John's selections that he put into his book of the Bible was intended to teach important things about who Jesus is and what it means to believe in him. So I think some of the stories that John put into his book, he had a specific reason that he was putting those stories in there. And he was hoping that we could glean some truths and some things from those. And this story is one of those of the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And what's kind of crazy about this, this story is this man that was healed by Jesus in this, in this story here, this event, he did not go searching for Jesus. We don't really have any indication that he even knew who he was. As we get into the story, we'll see why we believe that. Um, So this is one of those instances where Jesus seeked him out. Jesus came to this man, he had been lying there lame for 38 years and was wanting to get well, but he had not been able to do that. So we'll get into some of that with the study as well. So we'll start out with verse one of chapter five, and this is where we start out. We're coming from Samaria to Galilee to Jerusalem. So after Jesus' ministry in Samaria, we know that the synoptic gospels that he had spent considerable time ministering in Galilee. Though John only records the healing of the royal official's son, now John takes us back to Jerusalem to a remarkable healing at the pool of Bethesda. Verse one of chapter five says sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. So we're not told what feast jesus had come to jerusalem for so it's probably not too important that we know which feast that was except to clarify that this was an historical event so uh, that's probably why john made mention of the fact that jesus was there for this feast so to get into verse 2 we're at the pool of bethesda john describes the scene as you would expect an eyewitness to do for readers who hadn't been to jerusalem John understood that a lot of people that read this story later of what happened here with Jesus, there was going to be a lot of people that probably had no idea the lay of the land there and, and the, the scenario of what was going on when this miracle took place. So in verse 2 of chapter 5 it says, Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored columnades. The sheep gate that is being referred to here in the scripture was doubtless the gate that the sheep traveled through when they were on their way to be sacrificed at the temple that's kind of what that sheep gate was for that was the main passageway that the shepherds brought those sheep through the pool of bethesda was nearby and it was just north of the temple precincts there in that area in the early manuscripts there are a number of spellings for the name of this pool Most English translations give it as Bethesda, which means House of Mercy. This seems to be supported by a reference in the Copper Scroll discovered at at Qumran. In this lesson, we're going to be using the familiar name Bethesda. The Pool of Bethesda was discovered in the 19th century under the ruins of a Byzantine church. The archaeological evidence shows a pool, and it shows that it was shaped like a trapezoid, varying from about 165 to 200 feet wide by about 315 feet long it was divided into two pools by a central partition the southern pool had broad steps with landings indicating that it was a mikvah or a ritual bath it's similar to the pool of siloam at the south end of the city this is where jerusalem's pilgrims would gather to purify themselves for worship the northern pool provided a reservoir to continually replenish and repurify the southern pool, with fresh water flowing south through a dam between the two. Water probably came from runoff in the city and possibly some underground springs that were there in that area. So John, he describes these five colored colonnades, porticos or porches, is other ways that they are referred to. The King James Version calls them porches. They're colonnades in New International Version, the ESV version, In the NRSV version, they're porticos, so that kind of gives you an idea the scope of what we're describing here. The word means a roofed colonnade open normally on one side or a portico. That is a series of columns set at regular intervals and usually supporting the base of a roof structure. Whether permitting people would sit and they would lie underneath these covered porches. To be sheltered from the sun that was kind of the whole purpose of why they built these covered these covered rift areas so now we're on to verse three and four where the troubling of the waters takes place so pilgrims to the city were not the only ones who came to the pool of bethesda it was also a center for healing as john explains in verse three in chapter 5 verse 3 of john it says here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind the lame and the paralyzed why they were there is explained by a gloss or explained by an early scribe trying to make the reason for the gathering clear to the readers it is included in the footnotes of the modern translations but it clearly was not part of the earliest greek manuscripts thus it was not part of the holy scripture though it explains the situation clearly enough. In 3b of chapter 5, verse 3b, it says, And they waited for the moving of the waters. Verse 4, From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease that they had. The explanation of the healing from an angel stirring up the waters was believed by many of the sick and the infirmity in the city. The stirring doubtly had a physical cause, some bubbling up of an intermittent spring perhaps, but that an angel troubled the waters seems to have a popular superstition among the populace, much like the superstitions that have surrounded holy wells and mineral springs back to Babylonian times. Instead of seeking out the healer who had come to Jerusalem to heal and save, they huddled around this pool and pin their hopes on the chance that they might be the first ones to get into the waters. We're not told how many invalids might be gathered there each and every day by this pool, but we would imagine there were probably scores or probably possibly even hundreds of people that would gather around this pool just waiting for this phenomenon to take place. And so basically these people had put the faith into this pool that it was going to heal them instead of understanding that our true healing does come from the Father, from God above, and seeking out Jesus, who was actually on the earth at this time with a healing ministry. And so they were kind of getting to a point where they were physically focusing on this pull. In verse 5 through 9, John instructs us to the subject of Jesus' healing for that day. Of all the wretched people gathered at the poolside that day, Jesus selected this one invalid man. verse 9 at once the man was cured he picked up his mat and he walked so while we're not really told exactly what this invalid's problem was in these scriptures he's referred to in the niv and esv as an invalid one who had been ill in the nrsv or one that had an infirmity in the King James Version. So that's the three different ways that this man is referred to in different translations. The word in a general word is referring to a state of a debilitating illness, sickness, or a disease. So we have to assume that he was probably not just merely lame, although that was one of the issues that he obviously had because he could not get into the pool. He was probably making his way on crutches, uh, but he was probably paralyzed. And since he was lying on a mat and couldn't get to the water very easily by himself, he probably had a a paralytic issue in his body. So I'm guessing that some people, perhaps relatives or neighbors, probably carried him to the pool every morning and then carried him back home every evening because he probably was not able able to do this on his own. But during the day, they would need to work to support themselves and him, and there was no one who could rely on to help him. He had no friends so each time this water would bubble it was up to him to try to get into this pool on his own Well, jesus had learned probably from talking to the man himself that he had been an invalid for 38 years you know i can almost hear him recite to jesus his complaints of everything that goes on in his life every day and about his sad and his miserable life because this is something that repetitively happened every day as he came down there and sat by this pool and it had been going on for an extremely long time from john's brief account we begin to get some hints about this invalid's character though we'll look deeper at some of these here in just a little bit it's helpful to be able to list them in one place as we get into that part of it so number one as we look into the character of this guy number one he was old If the life expectancy in those days was maybe 35 and if this man had been afflicted during his childhood he might have been probably 40 or 50 by this time so he was considered an old man and you can read about that in in verse 5 of chapter 5. in verse 7 of chapter 5 we see that he's dependent he probably relies on others to bring him take him home and support him if he couldn't take care of himself very well then he was probably dirty and smelly so that probably tells us that he was probably a smelly old man number three which is in verse five and seven we see that he's a complainer he complains about how long he's been an invalid he complains that he doesn't have anyone to help him into the pool he's you know aggravated because he's the only one that can try to get himself down there but he can't and so he's complaining because he has nobody there to help him do this in verse 10 to 13 we find out that he's a blamer When confronted by the Jews for carrying his pallet on the Sabbath, he blames the person who told him to carry it, which in this case was Jesus, because Jesus healed him and told him to take up his his mat and walk. Number five, we see that he is a sinner. This is in verse 14. It's serious enough for Jesus to confront him in the temple, and we'll get to that here in just a little bit. On number six, in verse 15, we see that he's ungrateful and he's disloyal. When he learns Jesus name, he reports it to the religious leaders. He kind of quote unquote tattles on Jesus rather than being thankful for his healing and being loyal to his healer. He goes and rats him out. So we see that he is ungrateful and a disloyal person. In the fact that how he did that after he got his healing. And number seven, we see in, in verse 14 and 15, he's unrepentant. There's no indication that he accepted and acted on Jesus rebuke about his sin rather. John tells us in his gospel here that he reports Jesus to the authorities instead. So even after this miracle took place and Jesus told him to pick up his mat and walk, and he did, and Jesus, you know, later confronted him and talked to him about his sin. We don't see anywhere in John's gospel that he actually accepted that rebuke from Christ and changed his life and accepted Jesus into his heart. So it kind of brings us up to a question here as we kind of wrap up for today why did jesus choose to heal this man of all those people that were gathered at the the pool of bethesda that day why did he choose him it just kind of makes no sense because as i said earlier this man didn't seek jesus out jesus seeked this man out how does jesus healing here demonstrate the grace of god why do we humans find it difficult to accept grace when it is offered to us? Why do we resist the concept that God's gifts are entirely by, entirely by grace? It's a few questions that we can ask ourselves as we go through this story. I can only conclude that it was the father's clear direction, if you look in verse 19 of chapter five, and his utter grace. Clearly this man didn't deserve what he received, nor did he seem to appreciate it at any depth. After he did receive this healing, he just got up and did his normal thing after he was healed and totally was thankless and, you know, did not change his life to believe in Jesus after all of this happened. Um, So as we can see here, this man within himself, not only did he need salvation, but he had a lot of other issues in his life that he needed to take care of. And so it kind of just brings you to these questions, you know, you know, why did Jesus pick this guy? It just kind of makes no sense. But we'll get into this next week and continue this study. And as we get through further into this, we will kind of see exactly why Jesus probably did this and some lessons that we can learn. And we'll even see some lessons that the disciples learned in all of this as they were the followers of Jesus watching all of this take place and they had their own issues with the way that things were handled in this situation. So we'll kind of get into that as well and see what we can learn from this. So we're going to call it good for today and uh, we'll come back this next week and pick this back up again. Here we've left off for part two of this as we do this study about the pull of Bethesda. Thank you guys for taking the time out to check this out this week and hopefully as we get through all of this that will kind of open your mind and your eyes to a few things maybe you haven't ever seen from this little story in john chapter five and we'll continue this as we come back next week so please as i told you before please subscribe to my different channels and my youtube share this out for me uh we got some great things coming up in the future i'm going to be doing some uh some episodes with some other people at some point in time and some interviews. There's just a lot of things that I have lined up that I want to get into here as we carry this on. So I'm just right now trying to get my listeners and watchers built up, and I can't do that without your help. So uh, please help me out on that. Well, I'm out of here for this week. I'll be back next week. You guys have a great blessed week, and I will talk to you next time.